go button's been hit. Yeah, let me get this thing up here. Yeah, there we go. Okie dokie. We're up and going. All right, so we're back in the book of Revelation. Getting into some technical stuff. This is the Revelation of Jesus Christ, part 24. And chapter 1, verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Last week, we started talking about the seven stars, uh, so I told you I had a lot more stuff, so I want to pick back up there. Because we're in the description here of who John saw. He saw one likened to the Son of Man, and he goes to describe this one he saw. So every little detail is vital importance. So as this revelation John saw progresses, we see a theme unfold that discloses a, a deep mystery. You know, a lamb appears in the midst of, a, of, a throne, of the throne. And this is very meaningful. The lamb, you know, we've talked about for Jesus is the name of his humiliation. The lamb that is seen in the midst of the throne here is not the lamb of Calvary. The, the lamb in Revelation is the lamb, is the lamb standing on the heavenly Mount Zion not hanging between two thieves on Golgotha's hill. Uh, the lamb in, in Revelation is in the throne in New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. He's the lamb of the throne. He's, he's the lamb of a people. He, he's slain, that is, he's pouring out his life. You know, the, the scripture says there'd be a fountain open to the house of David. But it's... It's, it's Jesus, and this is so important. It's Jesus, but it's not the Jesus hanging on the cross, humiliated, uh, whipped, and beat. This is him in glory. Risen. Ascended to the throne. Now notice in the midst of the throne there stood a lamb as it had been slain. And, you know, right here it had seven stars and this may get technical here, but, but stay with me. This lamb in the midst of the throne, have, uh, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that verse, Revelation 5, 6. Uh, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, 
sent forth into all the earth. Now, then we find that out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. I think a lot of these things will start to come together today. Uh, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. Now remember that we got this throne and this lamb as it had been slain, seven horns, seven eyes, and right here in Revelation 4, 5, out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. He tells us what they are, which are the seven spirits of God. Now we need to take note that the horns and the eyes are in the Lamb that is in the throne. And the seven spirits of God originate from, from the Lamb in the throne. But they are sent forth into all the earth. So what does that mean? There's an outflowing. Now remember this is the book of Revelation here. This is a book of, of symbols. We've got to know the symbols here and put all this together. So there's an outflowing out of the throne of the sevenfold spirit of God that radiates out until it penetrates and fills the whole earth. You know, I love Isaiah 32 that he talks about the river that would go forth and, and, and bring water to the dry places, to the parched earth. And this is, this is what we're talking about. Out of your belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. This is, we're getting this right here, and it comes right out of the throne with the seven eyes, the seven horns, the seven lamps of fire here. The, the seven lamps of, of fire which burn before the throne are the first aspect of that outflow. These correspond to the seven golden candlesticks, which are what? The seven churches which are made up of those individuals whose spirits, as the candle of the Lord, have been lighted by the Spirit of God. And that's the light of the seven churches. I told you it gets technical. But when you understand these symbols here, the horns and the eyes of the Lamb are in the throne. The seven spirits of God issue out of the very nature and the authority of God in the Lamb. But the light of the seven lamps or the candlesticks burn before the throne. So both that which is in the throne and that which is before the throne are what? The seven spirits of God. Because he said they was both the seven spirits of God. Which are what? Sent forth into all the earth. So as the seven spirits of God radiate out from the throne... The church is therefore the first expression of that outflow. The first expression. And when I say that, and, uh, I mean that's what he's showing John here. Uh, you remember Jesus was the first expression of God. He was the image of God. So now the church has to do what? Be the expression of the outflow of Jesus in the earth. So you can see this picture. So it's, it's seven eyes, seven horns, seven lamps, all before the throne, but they, but they, they go into all the earth. <coughs> now, let's look at another uh, 
significant scene in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 2. I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So they're, they're what? They're, they stood before God. They were before the throne. You, you, I want you to see the position of the seven angels is identical with, this, with the position of the lamps. Now remember where the lamps were? The lamps were before the throne. And now here it says the angels are before the throne and to them uh, which are before God and to them was given seven trumpets. I don't know, to me this gets so beautiful when you begin to see what these things are and, and bring it down here into, into reality. Now, the seven lamps of fire that are before the throne are what? We went over this last week. The seven churches. The great truth is that these are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, consider this. The seven horns and the seven eyes are in the throne. Don't, don't you wish we could have a picture? A picture would help. And he said, yeah, we need a picture. So I have to, you know, use your imagination. Let the Lord draw the picture. Seven horns, seven eyes are in the throne. Seven lamps of fire are burning before the throne. And now there's seven angels and they're standing before the throne. That, that is in the seven churches. And these seven angels have seven trumpets. There's a lot of sevens here in this book, isn't there? They got a sevenfold message, if you will. They're sounding forth a word. And in chapter 8, you'll see that these trumpets go forth, these trumpets sound forth into three dimensions. When I say three dimensions, they blow into the sea, into the earth, and into the heavens. And when I say heavens here, I don't want you to think about, you know, something that we've been taught in religion here. Because, you know, we've been talking about that because we talked about the stars and, and Jacob got a hold of it. That he, he was one of the stars and the greater light to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night. He's not talking about stars in the sky. They go forth in three dimensions. The, the, so the, what's going forth? The seven spirits of God is what's sent forth into all the earth. Now, from all of that, seven eyes and seven horns and seven lamps and seven churches and seven trumpets, but they got one thing here. They're, they're, uh, the, the seven angels are the seven spirits, and the trumpets that blow are the sevenfold word of God which issue, issues forth out of the spirit. And when I say a seven here, just remember perfection. Okay, these sevens are used over and over. It's, God doesn't have seven spirits. It's the perfection. We use the word seven here, but 
But same thing with the church, with the, with the uh, uh, horns and the eyes and, and all that. But as you follow these seven angels all the way through the book of Revelation, you'll find that their relationship to everything that happens to the three realms that men live in, men either live in the sea, or they live in the earth, or they live in the heavens. I mean, it's talked about men living in the sea and, and raging and the foaming of the sea. You can see that in Jude and then men in the earth. And then us, we've been what? Translated into the kingdom of heaven. We live in the heavenly realm. Now, seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But see this, this seven trumpets blowing here. Uh, in all, th all three realms that men live in, they, they sound the trumpets, these seven angels, the seven spirits of God, sound the trumpets that affect the earth realm. These are the same angels that pour out the, the vials, we'll see later on, that affect the earth realm, because they were poured out in the earth. And you could follow these seven angels, and you'll see how they're identified with every activity of God that affects the earth. I can say this, the seven spirits are the seven angels. When they're in the throne, they're the eyes and they are the horns. When they're before the throne, they are the seven lamps and the seven angels. But when they are sent forth into the earth, there's the seven trumpets. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. The seven spirits are the seven angels. When they're seen in the throne... They're the eyes and the horns. When they're before the, uh, before the throne, they're the lamps. And when they're sent forth into the earth, they're the trumpets. It's just all the seven spirits of God in different administrations. Does that? Different administrations. Yet when you stand in the earth realm, uh, viewing this vision from an earthly perspective, the seven spirits. Now remember, if I'm in the earth realm and I'm viewing the seven spirits, what are they going to appear as? Seven stars. So it depends on where you're at and what your view is and where they're coming from of how you'll see them. Does that make sense? Clear as mud. It is to me. John was standing on the Isle of Patmos. We've got to understand where he was. The Holy Spirit had to tell us the position of John. John was on the Isle of Patmos as a prisoner. Banished to the, to the shores there as a criminal. Suffering the pains of trial and tribulation. Standing in isolation. Maybe even discouragement. But most certainly in a state of lack. And shut in, hedged up, surrounded I mean, Scripture says a garden enclosed, a fountain shut up, sealed. And from that vantage point, he beheld a vision of the Lord of glory in the midst of his people. And in the right hand of the glorious one, what did he saw? Seven stars. If you're in the throne, which John doesn't get there until Revelation chapter 4, right? Because that's when he sees the throne. He doesn't see it just yet. If you're in the throne, you'll see the seven spirits of God as the horns and the eyes of the Lamb. 
You know, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Well, I'm sure you have. You go out at night, and maybe you get your headlights sometimes, and you'll just look, and all you'll see is a set of eyes. And from a distance, they could look like they're just stars right there because you can't see anything else. So from your perspective, it looked, but when, but when the light's on, it, they, they're eyes. But at night, they may look like stars. They're just, well. If you're in the throne, you'll see the seven spirits of God as the horns and the eyes of the Lamb. If you're before the throne, you'll see the seven spirits of God as burning lamps and seven angels. As you move away from the throne, you'll see the seven spirits of God as seven trumpets blasting forth. But if you stand in the confinement of Patmos in the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death, you see the seven spirits of God as stars up in the heaven of God's spirits. Do you, you get this perspective now? But it's all still the same thing, which is what? The Spirit of God. I mean, this whole thing I'm talking about is the... We'll say the sevenfold spirit of God, but it's the Holy Spirit. Just bring it right down. I don't. Sometimes I want to say John or the Holy Spirit. Why'd you have to use all these seven eyes and seven horns and and all, why didn't you just say Holy Spirit? We could make it, but it's it's written that way. He wanted us to know. And but when you can begin to see what's going on and what's going forth here, you, uh, as we go on into the Book of Revelation, you you'll see how it plays out. So the mystery here is that we're looking at the same thing from different vantage points. We're seeing the same thing, but from different vantage points. So not only are there seven spirits and seven angels, seven horns, seven eyes, seven lamps of fire, the same reality and different applications. The seven stars are also the same. The, the Lord is pictured as holding the seven spirits and the seven stars in His right hand. We saw that last week. In His right hand. He had in His right hand seven stars. And then He tells us down here, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And in Revelation uh, chapter 2, verse 1, And to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he, Now look, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And let me read chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's, that's all I need to get right there. That hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, I'm going to throw something at you here. You've, you've probably heard that the seven stars and the seven angels are the pastors of the seven churches. Y'all ever been taught that? They're the, they're the... Let 
they're the main ones. I don't know if you've ever heard that teaching before. It's quite popular. But let me say this. In the early church, they didn't have pastors. They had elders. But they didn't have a position. Uh, pastor in, the, in what we have today. Paul never addressed the pastor of the churches. He addressed the elders. He didn't say go make. He didn't say go ordain pastors. Now this is important. And I, I, I'm going to show you here in a minute. The reason it's important. He didn't say Paul go ordain pastors. He said go ordain elders. Go ordain elders. When, when the apostles addressed the ministry and met with, with the ministry, they spoke with and met with elders, not the pastor. The, the position of the pastor didn't exist in early days, so the angel of the church was not the pastor of the church. Now, remember what we're dealing with here. Everything that I've been telling you about this book of Revelation is we're at, in you, because where is Christ? In you. So we're dealing with inward spiritual realities and powers. And, and the stars or the angels are heavenly dimensions of the body of Christ. Because where are we? We're in the body of Christ. Where is the body of Christ? We're seated with him in the heavenlies, in the throne. So we got to get our mind out of this carnal earth realm. And as John saw things in the spirit... Because remember, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Every person, everything in this book had its angel. Remember, we talked about what an angel is. An angel wasn't a baby with wings. An angel is a message, a word. Uh, The carrier of that is the angel. So God proclaims and executes His will by His angels. Let me give you some verses there. Uh, Revelation 7 and 2. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Now remember, he's doing this through his angel. There was angels. Now, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, I saw another angel fly in the midst of the heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation and kindred and tongue of people. What a verse. So, there was an angel that flew in the midst of heaven. So, remember, where are you? And this angel has what? The everlasting gospel, not to preach to them that are in heaven, but who? Those that are in the earth realm. Uh, Verse 8, and there followed another angel, following this angel that has the everlasting gospel. But now this, this gospel is going forth, right? So the gospel is going forth, and then here comes another angel right behind this one saying, Babylon is fallen. Is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. I just want you to see the activity of these angels here. And then in, in Revelation 15, verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And in verse 6, And seven angels came out of the temple. Where's the temple? Now I know we're thinking, well, the temple's in heaven. Now wait just a minute. Where is the temple? You are the temple. So the seven angels came out from where? Out of the temple, which Paul says you are. So there's a word coming out of you. Having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. Is this what we've seen in chapter 1? That he was girded about the paps with a golden girdle? Same thing. Because what happens, this, this was seven trumpets and all of it, it has to go out. And where it goes out, it's the everlasting gospel. But at the same time, Mystery Babylon falls. Same thing happened to you and me. The gospel came in and crucified us, didn't it? Had to. It had to destroy us. But at the same time, bring life. It's amazing. So you, you see this, this picture. That's why it's sevens. Sevens. Uh, in, in Revelation 14, he addresses his Christ uh, by an angel. Revelation uh, 14 and 15. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Isn't these things amazing? And, you know, I mean, we're just reading this to get the position and, and, and what these angels are doing. But it's like, man, why don't we just stay in this one verse? Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Now, who's sitting on the cloud? Who's in the middle of the cloud? Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. The harvest of the earth. You remember Jesus said the fields are white and ready to the harvest, but we didn't have any laborers out there. So what he's doing, laborers. And what are we? Paul says co-labor, laborers together with him. For what? The harvest of the earth. But where does the gospel come from? Out of the heavenlies. In the angel. And where's the angels? They're in the right hand. All these pictures are beautiful. Christ acts and reveals his truth by an angel. I mean, uh, how did this revelation start? Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel. How about uh, Revelation? Um, I'm just giving you these verses. Chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven. Now, I want you to think about this. And we're going to get in maybe a tad, but we've already been in this verse before. But a little bit more so maybe Sunday. 
I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. About chapter uh, 22, verse 6. And he said unto me these sayings. These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show Unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. The, uh, the waters have an angel. Revelation uh, 16. Verse 5. I heard the angel of the waters say. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I mean, when you just start looking back... I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. So the waters have an angel. I wonder if the winds have an angel. Revelation 7 and 1. After these things I saw four angels standing on four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. I wonder if fire has an angel. Revelation 14 and 18, another angel came out of the altar which had power over fire. I wonder if the abyss has an angel. Revelation 9 and verse 11. They had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. In all of these instances, the angel appears when the persons or the things spoken of are represented as coming out of themselves and as taking their part in speech or action. Got some action here. This, uh, and I know, you know, I don't mean to make this so hard to uh, get a hold of. But the book of Revelation is not an easy book. I'll tell you, it's not an easy book. The seven stars or the seven angels of the seven churches are rep uh, representations of the sevenfold anointing of the Spirit of God within the church. Or the Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul wouldn't say sevenfold anointing. He'd say you're complete in Him. Which is what? What is that Holy Spirit? The Spirit of truth. That is going to be so huge. Now, remember, I started this by telling you the seven stars or the seven angels wasn't the seven pastors of the church. And the reason I say that is there, there's no outward pastor. I mean, what does he say in the book of Revelation? Where does the day star rise? Up in the, I mean, I go out every morning this time of year and all oh, she's beautiful. I can tell you right where she is, right over there. Right up over the mountain. She's big and bright and beautiful. Now, we would call that the day star. That's Venus. 
But he doesn't say Venus rises in the, in the early morning eastern sky. He says the day star, the very stars here, rise in your heart. So who, who is the pastor here of your heart? Holy Spirit. Who's the bishop of your souls? The Holy Spirit. The trouble today is people flock to a man instead of the man. See, there are seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, the complete Holy Spirit. Each has an angel that is, or I'll I'll say it this way, an anointing, a message, or a word. Uh, the, The seven stars are the sevenfold fullness of the word. The, the revelation and authority of God which comes forth out of the spirits of God. When I, when I think of these seven, I think of it's finished. It's complete. That means there's nothing else can be added to it. It's done. It's in perfection. So what happens here, you learn to hear his voice and not follow the voice of another. Jesus said, my sheep are what? They'll, they'll hear my voice and as strangers and others, they won't follow Now, how do you learn to hear the voice of God? Where do you hear Him? You've all experienced it. It doesn't, the clouds don't part. They never have. I've heard the Lord speak a few times myself. I know y'all have. And every time it comes from down in here. Every time. Now, who is that? That's the angel of the church speaking to you. He's the bishop. You hear the voice of the Son of God. You hear the voice of the Son of Man speak within you. And by that voice, you live. This is the angel of Christ and the angels of the churches. This is the anointing, the the revelation, the message, the word, the authority of Christ for us. And it's in you. It's the, the way of life abundant. I come that you might have life and that more abundant. And how is that? By his words you live. And where does he speak? He speaks in you. Because he's the one who walks in the midst. In the midst of his temple. In the midst of his churches. He's the pastor of the church. The bishop of the church. Not me. You know what I do? I point. As we are made partakers of the fullness of His Word by the seven stars, we follow Him who alone is able to lead us to the fullness of life. He alone. Now, does that mean we we throw the church away? No, we encourage one another. I hope that's why we meet out. We encourage one another. We confirm the dealings of God to each other. You know, sometimes I don't understand, and I tell you, and, you, and you've had the same experience. You know, oh yeah, well, he, did, he dealt with me this, he spoke to me this way. And we, and we confirm those things one another, because you know what? Oh, we're kind of weak and feeble, and we need each other. And I think, and I don't, am I hearing the voice of the Lord? Well, that's what he said to me too. And, and you, you know, so we, that's why we meet out here. It's not to follow me. We exhort one another. But the teacher, the pastor... Is in you. You don't have no need for a man to teach you. The, you have the unction, the Holy Spirit. And trust me, I know there's been times when, when you guys have said, this guy's crazy, but something told you, hey, hang on. And it wasn't me. If you, if you went by my words, everybody doesn't be gone. But something told you. Now, who was it? It wasn't me. It's him. 
And you know right away if somebody says something foolish because another voice you won't follow. You know. I mean, you have the pastor within. You have the prophet that Moses spoke, spoke about, lives in you. You have the high priest that lives within you. You have the witness within you. Everybody wants to go be a witness. I said, well, man, he lives in me. The witness. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. The witness. And what does he do? He testifies of Jesus, who is the truth. Now, men will lead you astray. Men will lead you into the ditch. Blind leads the blind. They both fall into the ditch. My only purpose in teaching or, or all the things we do is to encourage all to know the Lord for themselves. To point everyone to the living Christ. You know, kind of almost like the message of John the Baptist. I'm not him. I'm not worthy to loose his shoes. But we point. That's the whole thing of these stars and, and trumpets and everything. I mean, they're... That's, that's what they do to point everyone to the living Christ, not to draw men to ourselves. Many ministries are there to draw men to themselves. The wonderful truth of the indwelling, of the indwelling Christ is we don't need to convince anyone what we're saying. I'll say that again. I don't have to convince people that I'm right and you're wrong. If, I, if I've got to coax and plead and beg and argue, they ain't been apprehended yet. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, we, we went over that. I'll just give you that verse real quick. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are. Let me go back to verse 12. If that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. There's an old eastern proverb that says, When the student is ready, you've heard that, ain't you? The teacher will appear. And, and, you know, I mean, how true is this thing? You know, I mean, unless you're a prodigy or something, you can't go into kindergarten and write complex paragraphs. I'm old and can't write complex paragraphs. Don't laugh, Nevaeh. But you've got to learn your ABCs. So uh, if you're trying to teach, and I know everyone, we want to share this so bad, right? We want to share, we want to share this. Not to draw men into ourselves, but so that they can enjoy the peace and life that we have. And so if you're trying to teach and they're not getting it, guess what? They're not ready. You know, I just think about that. You know, I mean, you know. You know, you're making a cake and you can't eat that cake until it's all, all done. It may smell good and, and all, it's in the pan, but it just ain't ready. You know, there was times when Paul and them was on the road and they said, we're going to Ephesus and the Holy Spirit said no. Now why? Because they wasn't ready yet. It wasn't God was withholding. The Holy Spirit is not only in you. We've seen that goes out into all the earth and it goes and it prepares just like you had to be prepared at some time to hear the gospel. So it, it, it goes forth. They're not yet apprehended at this time to hear this truth. They're not ready. If someone doesn't receive this same truth, it's because of the dealings of Christ within. Now listen to what I'm telling you. 
There's an order in the kingdom. There's not chaos in the kingdom. There's an order. So if they're not receiving the same truth, see, sometimes people get to think, well, if you're not in my church, you're, you're of the false church. No. I look around at a bunch of these around it, and I ain't never going to say they're not sons and daughters of the living God, but they're children. You know what I'm talking about. They're, they're tossed to and fro. That's why, the, that's why they got to have. I thought about what you said so much there on Sundays to remind about Pentecost. And, and, and you know what you said, we've already had that. And what I want to say is there was three feasts. Everybody forgets about tabernacles, or they want to say tabernacles, but what, you know what we're saying is you've had Pentecost, now let's come on over here into real joy, but, but you can't come into real joy until you first come by the Day of Atonement. Once you get by that, then, you know, as we were in the book of Leviticus, they led off into the, the most awesome praise and worship and everything that went on. Pentecost happened. Pentecost was necessary. Passover was necessary. But oh my goodness, the joy lies in tabernacles. Tabernacles were the waters poured out. Right? So there's order in the kingdom because of the dealings of, of Christ within. Maintaining the order of his kingdom so that nobody invades a realm in God that's beyond what they're prepared for. Now, do you, do you understand? I mean, it's not like one day. I, I, in my mind, I have to think elementary. I have to think in school. So it's not like all, all, all of a sudden a kindergartner shows up as a freshman in high school. He's not ready for it yet. He's too immature. So, so if they're not hearing, you, you know, they ain't been apprehended for ninth grade yet. They're still in the first grade. Does that make sense? The Christ within is the witness of God. Let me read you a verse here. Now remember, the same guy wrote this epistle, 1 John. This is the same guy. Wrote the Gospel of John, wrote epistles 1, 2, and 3 here, wrote the book of, of Revelation in 1 John chapter 5. Now where did I say the witness was? Within. Now listen to this. 1 John 5 verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his son. I love that. He's testified of his son. He didn't testify of me. He didn't say, oh, you got it going on. And boy, you're a really good one. He testifies of his son. And this, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave, what? Of his Son. Who is what? Truth. Where's the witness? Everybody wants to go do witness. I think... Psh. You need to look within. He's the witness. And remember what witness was. Witness was a martyr even who died and rose again. Now, let me get on to something else here real quick. We got a little time to talk about this. Now, this one. 
Let me get back over here to Revelation. He had in his right hand seven stars. Took us two weeks on that part. Seven. <laughs> and now, and out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. Let's talk about that two-edged sword. Sharp, two-edged sword. And, and you guys know this because I know you've, you've read this book many times. His name is called what? The Word of God. He, he is the Logos. Psalms 33 and 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now think about what I'm telling you. By the word of the Lord was what made? The heavens were made. Now where are we? Seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. How did we get there? By his word. Well, know what comes out of this guy's mouth? Sharp, two-edged sword. But what is it? It's his word. He's coming out. I mean, the Bible starts out uh, in the beginning uh, was the heavens. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And John, the same writer here, says in the beginning was what? He didn't say in the beginning was the heavens. He says in the beginning was the Word. Scripture says he sent forth his Word and healed them. What happened? His Word went out and did what? Healed them. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. In, in this vision here, what we're seeing here, one, this one like a son of man is represented as being armed with a sword. You want to know what his weapon is? We finally get to his weapon. How's, it, how's this man going to do battle? He's got, I mean, you don't go to battle if you ain't got a weapon. He's got a weapon. What is it? A sword. Sharp two-edged sword. Where is it? It ain't here. It's coming out of his mouth. Passing out of his mouth, indicating that his, his, uh, I'm trying to think how to say this, uh, his chief, everything he's going to do, it lies in his speech, what he says. His force is truth. Truth that's expressed by his mouth in words. He goes forth to battle, wielding only the weapon of truth. Now, see, people don't get that. They, you know, they, they get this thing of all this battles and blood and all of this other stuff. Well, oh, the only, the only, oh, we'll get there. The life's in the blood. And the truth slays you just like it did us. And when the truth stands there, we realize we're guilty. And we need a Savior. If the truth didn't slay us, we would never need a Savior. But truth slays us. It's going forth in truth. He, Christ doesn't come to avenge blood and slay in a battle like, uh, you know, Iraqi wars and Afghanistan and all them. No, he's different warfare. Our warfare is not carnal, as Paul says, uh, you know, but, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We get a good idea here. His words smite all who hear. Paul admonishes, Paul commands us, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, when we talk or speak, you, you manifest spiritual influences. The, the, the force of these influences is, is proportionate to the inner power. 
their effect is proportionate to the state of the reception of the hearers. Now, I said it's influence is proportionate to the inner power. Who are you going to listen to more? A, a two-year-old crying that they want something. There's words coming out of their mouth and they're begging you, buy this toy, buy this toy, buy this toy. Or are you going to listen to the words of a king or the, or the, or the or police because they have authority and it's coming out? You don't have to yell it out. It's just so it's proportionate to the inner power. I just want to make that statement right there. And then also and proportionate to the reception of the hearers because some people hear it and they rebel against it. So words are seen to be uh, representative uh, of spiritual forces. So it's, it's hard. That's the reason we got a big old Bible here because everything we're talking about, we're dealing with spirit. So we have to use these other natural things to try to describe spiritual things. So we're, they're representative of spiritual forces. The action of spirit on spirit is noticed by the senses. Like somebody giving a, a, a speech. I, I've seen this thing before. Um, so much so. Uh, anybody that's ever been to a ball game, I've sat down there at Richlands at a ball game before, and a ref can come out and make one call, just little words out of his mouth, and everybody gets mad. A thousand people is mad. And it just like a wave sweeps over. Or somebody can give a speech. You guys hear them now, and somebody can, they can incite peace through their speech. At the same time, you might hear Martin Luther King uh, give a speech and there might be great peace. And then there might be some who, uh, they're called to war. That's what they're trying to get, you know, with everything with January 6th. You know, there's a call to war. And all of that was words, wasn't it? It was incited through words. So words are not just sounds. They are you. They are the inner you coming out. Now, if they're inner you that's coming out, if you are dead, then what can come out of your mouth? Only death. Right? But we read about an angel that come out of the heavenlies having what? The everlasting gospel, which is the good news, to go speak to them on the earth. Why? Because they're dead. They need life. In, in, in John uh, 6 and 63, Jesus says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He didn't say they might be or what. He said, The words that I speak to you, because where did the words originate from? From him who is life. So everything that came out of his mouth was life because that was who he is. He said, they are spirit and they are life. And the words that come out of him do what? They go into you. They go into you. And they accomplish whereunto they've been sent. So his words are the manifestation and the influence of his inner life being poured forth to whom he speaks. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple examples here. In, in Luke, I love this little story. Jesus goes to a city of Nain. Y'all know the, the story. Many disciples went with him. Much people, it says. 
He comes nigh to the gate of the city and there was a dead man carried out. The only son of his mother, she's a widow. Much of the people of the city was with her. You, you know the story. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, weep not. Now isn't that a weird thing to say? That's like going to a funeral, going to your son's funeral, and, you know, somebody says, stop crying. You will kind of want to slap whoever says, stop crying. I mean, really, let's just stop right there and get this in our heads here. You don't come to a funeral to the mother who is burying her son. She's a widow. She's lost everything and say, stop crying. But now Jesus didn't stop there. He came and touched the bier. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. See, the power of the speech of the prince of life pierced even unto the realm of death. And you know what the scripture says? And he that was dead... He, was, he used to be dead, but somebody spoke to him, and he ain't dead no more. He sat up and began to speak himself, and he delivered him to his mother. He sat up and began to speak. When Jesus delivered him to his mother, he made effective his command to weep not. You see, you see the order here? Weep not. Well, just hang on there a second. And then he does this. And now the commander, we, I'm sure she wasn't crying no more. How about the pool of Bethesda? You know that guy. This guy had been there at that market for 38 years waiting to get in the pool. Jesus saw him and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And Jesus said to him, will thou be made whole? What a question. We've talked about it. And this guy begins to say, he doesn't know who Jesus is. Well, I don't have nobody to help me into the water. Every time the angel disturbs the water, somebody else, they run down and get in. Before I can even get into the water, I mean, I'm stuck here. 38 years. And Jesus said to him, if you'll go to church and read your Bible and repent. I wish I had Kathy Starlin said, uh -uh, that ain't what the Bible says. Jesus said, if you're a good person and pay your tithe, Jesus just simply said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. The power of the flaming sword of the word of God that proceeds out of his mouth. And as the Christ of God is what a many-membered body, so is the sword that goes out of his mouth. The word of God is spoken in the world today by the body of Christ on earth. And that word flows forth as the sound of many waters. And listen, there's not two swords there's a sharp two-edged sword, but there's not two swords. There's not one sword that goes out of the mouth of the Lord and then another sword that goes out of the mouth of His ministers. 
There's one sword and it is His. Our quote in scriptures and, and knowledge of the Bible and, and all of these things is not the sword of the Lord. I know people, I look at scriptures every day and sometimes I have to be reminded, but that's not the sword of the Lord. The sword of the Lord is that word which proceedeth out of his mouth. You're clean by the words that I have spoken. And you know what? He's ever speaking. Because it proceeds out of his mouth. And not only out of his mouth, but out of ours as we are made one with him. One sword. It's a flaming sword. I mean, what, what did they say about Jesus? Never a man spake as this man spake. I mean, they're witnessing the flaming sword. I mean, they ask, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commandeth even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. The disciple says, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? That which was manifest in Jesus Christ shall also be seen in his many-membered body, which makes up the Son of Man. And we see, we see glimpses of it in the Old Testament. I'm telling you what, uh, let me go get you... Uh, One in 1 Kings chapter 17, and Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, Ahab's the king. I mean, this is, this is something that goes forth. I mean, this is what he said. He goes into the king, this old Tishbite here from Gilead, walks into King Ahab and says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall be not dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Buddy, that was a flaming, sharp, two-edged sword that come out of his mouth. And you know what? They wasn't rain nor dew according to his word. Now I'm telling you, you and I have all witnessed miracles. We've watched healings take place. We've seen it. We have. Other things that we can't explain. Miracles. But you know what those are? Those are just, they're the appetizer. Me and Tracy went and eat Friday night, and I got an appetizer up there. And I get all these little, that's just the appetizer. All these things that you've witnessed, that's just the, that's the down payment. The down payment of the glory that is coming. The glory which shall be revealed. The sufferings of this present time cannot be compared with that glory. None shall be able to stand before God's army of sons. Now, watch what kind of weapon they got. One sword. I mean, you'd think we'd go to battle and everybody would, you know, everybody would be getting a sword, but there's only one sword. I mean, imagine the king of glory and his heavenly armies, they ain't got but one sword. What kind of battle is this? I remember, I love watching Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings, uh, the two towers, and they're getting ready to battle, and the, uh, the orcs are all coming, so they, and they all got a sword, and they're all sharpening their swords. Wouldn't it be something here now if they said, okay, guys, all gathered together, we got one sword. That's the way we do battle. We got one sword. God's army bearing the two-edged sword of His Word. <laughs> 
Nothing shall be able to stand, not demons, not sickness, nothing, not even death. I don't know if you believe it or not, but Jesus raised the dead. I suspect we'll do the same. Has to be. I mean, those were the things he did, and he said, greater than these shall ye do. I mean, he just went around and ruined funeral homes. He put the funeral homes out of business. They didn't like it when he came to town. They didn't get paid. He's raising the dead, emptying tombs out. This is in my little caption, fear not, have hope, believe in hope. It's God's good pleasure to yet renew the face of the earth. All the inhabitants of the world shall learn righteousness. He said it. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. He said it. He promised it. What do we see in the news all the time? War, 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 war. Nation shall not learn war anymore. How? By these angels that are going forth into the earth with seven trumpets. This angel that comes out of out of the temple, out of heaven, having what? The everlasting gospel, which is what? The two-edged sword. The government of God shall be established over all the kingdoms of men. He said it. I'm, I'm just repeating to you what he said. All the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all his holy mountains. We're called to this end. What a holy calling. To wield the mighty sword of the spirit of truth. To ride forth in the majesty as the expression of God's kingdom on the earth. We are to speak His burning word of authority. Redemptively smiting the earth with the sword of His mouth. Now... We're almost finished. I've got to go all the way back to Genesis. Because where's the first time we see this flaming sword? All the way back in the garden. Man is banished from the garden. He's drove out. Verse Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. So he drove out the man. And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Flaming sword. Man must be excluded from the tree of life until a provision should be made by which he can approach and partake of it. He's cut off from the tree of life. He wasn't there... Uh, that wasn't there to keep the way as we've been taught. Like I'm going to show you the way back. He was cut off. I want you to get this. He was cut off. They want no way back. Not only is Adam driven out of paradise, but a guard is assigned to make any approach to it impossible. The cherubim is placed there to keep the way of the tree of life. You're not coming here. That's it. You're cut off. And the word keep there in the Hebrew is, is shamar. It means to guard. It means protect. It means defend. It means to hedge, hedge about with thorns. 
when I when I the heads about with thorns, I'm thinking the crown of thorns, you know. But it says, least he or Adam put forth his hand. That's in verse 23 or verse 22. And the Lord said, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now least he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. The flaming sword was a prohibition. Life was denied by God, so death came upon every man, even those who had not sinned at the similitude of Adam's transgression. Death was pronounced on all. And now there's no way back, and there's a guard there with a flaming sword. Now note, the cherubim didn't have a metal sword. It was a movable sword. It, uh, that is, it, a flash or a flame. Uh, it says a flaming sword. Now that's how the Hebrew is, but a flash or flame, such as lightning, which is, you know, it's unsteady. It cracks and blinds the eyes. This flame or lightning is depicted as having the form of a sword that's in continuous motion, moving to and fro. Motion, moving to and fro. And because of the cutting, the searing, the flaming sword of the cherubim, no human could approach. The, the tree of life, uh, all that Eden represents was guarded by the power of death. I want you to get that picture. It was guarded by the power of death. And from that day, Adam's life before the gate became a continuous denial of the ram from which he was excluded. You know, they brought their offerings back to that same place. They couldn't go in, but it was like, hey, you're cut off. I mean, there it is. You can't get back. So he, he searched the cursed ground of the carnal realm to try and find what he had lost. Then a repeated desperate rage against the power with the flaming sword. He continually ran against it. Everywhere he went, everything he did, he came up against this flaming sword. It always stood in his way. The cherubim placed there for the express purpose of shutting man out from life. Least he take forth and hold. So he's got something here. Now, the cherubim, I want you to get this. This will make sense here in a minute. The cherubim speak of a realm of dominion by a flaming word. A flaming word. Now, the word that proceeds from, from the cherubim is typified in a flaming sword. You get the same picture here? So the cherubim is standing out with a flaming sword. He's got a, a word. And over here, the Son of Man, uh, out of his mouth is a flaming sword. He's got a word. So the cherubim is keeping us away from the tree of life. And the other one is the words that I speak. They are life. Do you see the juxtaposition here? The word sword is used over 400 times in the Bible, and that indicates tremendous importance the, the Spirit wants to show us because there's both positive and negative connotations. Paul tells us, he commands us, put on the sword of the Spirit. 
Now, in, in Hebrews, let me get back over there to Hebrews. It says this, for the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God. Now, where is this? That's the sword that's coming out of his mouth. The word of God is quick. That means it's life-giving and powerful, comes with authority, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows, and it is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. So here's a sword. As the word come into you, it came into you as a sword, and not only did it bring life, it brought death. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives. So there was a death that took place and a quickening that took place. Same sword. Two-edged sword. So that that brought death in us also brought life in us. But now here's something else now. Let's go to Corinthians. Now Paul, the writer of Corinthians, he says something here. I wish people would, would read these verses, for, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The letter killeth. But the Spirit gives life. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they give life. The letter kills. What is the letter he was talking about? The letter's the outer hull. Uh, it's, it's the law. It's the commandments. It's the types. It's the shadows. Everything of the old is called the letter. Now, maybe this will make sense to you right here. The flaming sword at the Garden of Eden is a word. Not the word. Do you see the difference? It's a word about the word. What was the law? It was a word about the word. What was the feast? A word about the word. But what did the law do? Killed. The law that was given to Moses was a word from God. It was even called the law of the Lord. And Paul calls it the letter. He calls it the ministration of death. Everybody wants a word. How many times do they say, I got a word? I don't want your word. I want the word. And we have the word himself. Do you see the difference? How many times people come? Oh, you got a word, got a word, got a word. That word kills. We're ministers of the New Testament. Life givers. The only way the law could give life was as one perfectly kept it. All it could do is condemn. All it could do is kill. So everything Adam or anybody ever did led to death. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And for every broken law, there was a penalty. So the law is a dead word. It's, it's a form without essence. It's a law without life. It's a shadow without substance. It's a word about the word. Therefore, it keeps men shut up into the dominion of death. 
keeps him shut up. It's a flaming sword. Turns every which way. Now the flaming sword of the cherubim is the word of the law, which is the ministration of condemnation and death. And it keeps men out of Eden. It keeps men away from the tree of life. But the sword out of the mouth of God's Christ is a life-giving sword that excelleth in glory as the ministration of life. Let me just read. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, a word about the word, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be what? Done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? I'm just going to go down here and read this last verse. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord is what John is seeing on the Isle of Patmos. And out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged life-giving sword are changed into the same image from glory to glory. What does that mean? From the glory of one time we ministered death, which Paul did, To ministers of life were changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I'll quit with that next week. I know, probably went a little over. I can't never see that clock. We're going to look at his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. So three weeks in one verse, maybe four. Who knows? Anyway, amen.